Ladies and gentlemen, 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 gentlemen you are now, 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 now listening to two, 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 the P13 Podcast. Yeah. Welcome back to the P13 Podcast. It's your host, Michael, and I'm here to bring you all a special podcast episode. The holidays have recently just passed. First, I'd like to say happy belated holidays, regardless of the holiday that you celebrate during this time of year. Also, happy new year. Happy belated new year. It is the year 2022. That new year means... A New Year's resolution. However, you don't have to use the New Year's to start a resolution. You can start it anytime you want. I myself have started a few in December. However, yes, I did use the New Year as well to, to start some new resolutions for myself so I can develop a better human being, I'd say. Maybe grow up a little bit, you know. Again, it doesn't matter when you start your resolutions. It's just a matter of just starting them doesn't matter what day doesn't matter what time start something new have fun with it and continue on trying to develop and get better like i was saying earlier we have a a different type of podcast today we're going to be running down some of the best things to happen in this podcast in the year 2021 you'll hear some recaps of previous episodes You'll get to listen to the importance of our values here at Project 13 Gyms. You'll also get to hear how we got the name. You get to re-listen to some of our previous episodes. You know, we like to keep things informational. You'll hear from the man, the myth, the legend, the informational dictionary in fitness, Mr. Thomas Conway, momentarily. You'll also get a recap and listen to some of the past guests we've had in here such as Chantal Morgan, Lucas Aaron, Jeff Wolf, Dr. Shannon O'Grady, Dr. Chandler, Mr. Eric Winters. You'll hear a lot of people that we've had on this podcast. You get a little snippet. So for those who are new here, you kind of get a little summary of what we do here on the P13 podcast. For those who have been here before, we want to say thank you for your continued support and you get to relive some of the past experiences you've had with this podcast again we hope this podcast has spurred some changes maybe it has given you some new light or perspective on items that's helped you become healthier become a better human so sit back relax enjoy and let's take a listen to the best of 2021 so to kick things off i thought it might be right to start off with some of our best introductions over the uh, course of this podcast in 2021. You know, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Thomas Conway is always on the other side of this podcast, providing you with a lot of information, perspective, opinions. Uh, And your host, yours truly, is the one who gets the honor of introducing him. So here's a few little uh, snippets of some of the best introductions that we have of the soulful Mr. Thomas Conway. Uh, just a refresher, my name is Michael, and across from me is the God sent himself, 
<laughs> Thomas Conway. <laughs> Still got that I, chuckle. Yeah. But if you're wondering what that sweet sound in your ears is coming from, that is Thomas Conway Hello. speaking on the Hello. ones and twos here as well. Ones and twos. <laughs> Those we'll uh, sweet vibrations in your in your ear is mm. Mr. Thomas Conway. Hello. We, we're missing something. What's that? The deep soulful. <laughs> voices can't that get used to it are coming through those earphones similar to the one luther vandros ah luther yeah is the mr con mr it's great Thomas man conway. great man the mr conway the mr uh, Thomas. i think just mr conway we are back again michael and thomas hello Th- those sweet sounds there's thomas conway on the other end of me right here similar to whale sounds oh yes we mm. are very much into those for these last couple of days one of us is one of us is yes we're not going to let you know who you're going to have to guess oh leaving it up to the audience to figure that one out mm-hmm. this is your host michael alongside here is the man the myth the legend the deep soulful r&b type voice such as marion mar oh marion b2k oh marion oh yeah 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 b2k was that the band name that was the band name oh man we interesting came, times. It's very interesting. The movie You Got Served was a big hit. There was that. I was also going to say that one movie that was an MTV movie that was spoofing boy bands. Do you remember the oh, name of it? Oh, I don't. I know what you're talking about, though. It was like Me Plus You or something. <laughs> yes. oh, God. Or maybe that was one of the songs that they did. I think so. Was it Together? The number two? I think together? it was Together. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh. Good times. Boy bands. Good times. Yeah. Ooh. Top three early 2000s cheesy movies. Oh, that's a tough one. That's going to require one? some thought. Okay, fair enough. I'll put You Got Served on there for my list for sure. Because yeah. that yeah. really shaped how I dress and went to school dances. Really? <laughs> you mean like you tried to dress more like them? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Nice. Do you still do that? No. Okay. <laughs> and we tried some of those breakdancing moves back in the day and did not work out well. No. Did no. you get hurt? Uh, No, not necessarily get hurt. Just I couldn't. Just like, couldn't do them. I couldn't do a windmill. Couldn't do a lot of things in that movie, but it was a fun Windmills time. look intense. Windmills are pretty intense. Yeah. Oh, weren't those fun? Well, moving along here, we'd like to take you on a little ride back to the first ever episode uh, this one, we're talking a little bit about the values that we have here at Project 13 Gyms related to how we go about our sessions and why the gym is important to us. All right. Well, welcome to the first ever Project 13 Gyms podcast, a.k.a. the P13 podcast. The inaugural episode. The inaugural episode. I am one part of this amazing team. My name is Michael Calla, or you can call me Calla. The other part of this team is the man, the myth, the legend. You're too kind. Sitting across from me. Would you like to introduce yourself, sir? Yes, I am Thomas Conway, and I... We are both part of Project 13. I am the owner of Project 13, and Michael is one of the coaches there, so we're excited to be here with you. We are excited for you 
all to tune into this, all you one, two, three, four, five listeners, maybe. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Uh, members and all you lovely listeners out there. Our purpose here is to just bring you all some knowledge around what we do at Project 13 Gyms. Training, nutrition, wellness, answering some questions, maybe myths that are kind of out there in the fitness world, but also give you insight to us and how we do things how we go about things and hopefully something sparks if it does great if it doesn't keep listening maybe something down the road does and we just want you to enjoy and maybe help you out through your daily life yeah so our 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 primary goal is to to serve our members and you know we michael and i get asked a lot of questions in the gym and so we thought it would be a good idea to deliver some some knowledge and information through a medium that's easy for all of you to access so ultimately, we want this to be something that adds value to our our members at Project 13. But, you know, we're not going to limit it to that. We're going to see where it goes. And, uh, you know, we're going to have fun in the process. So we're both very excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's dive right into it. First question. What is Project 13? It's a great question. Great question. So Project 13 is a gym here in, in San Francisco. So for those of you that are maybe listening from a distance, we are located in San Francisco, California. And Project 13 is a gym that's been around since 2018. And so, you know, I think for a lot of people, 2020 has been very interesting and potentially challenging. And for us at Project 13, it has also provided us with time to reflect on where we want to take Project 13. And so at the moment, we're kind of going through a little bit of rebranding. And actually, this podcast is one of the things that we are pursuing to kind of adjust to where we want to take the business, how we want to impact people. But at the core, Project 13 remains what it what it was at its founding. So Project 13 is really an idea. It may sound cliche. A lot of people like to say that um, about, about things like this. But Project 13 is an idea that has the physical manifestation of a gym. So, you know, what I mean by that is... I am Project 13, I would say Michael is Project 13, and ultimately what we want to do at the gym is make our members and our customers a reflection of Project 13 as well, and the idea of Project 13. We believe that that idea goes beyond the physical walls of the Project 13 facility, and, um, you know, ultimately it's a reflection of and or a representation of how we intend to live our lives by a certain set of values. And so, you know, a lot of people think, oh, it's a gym, so it's all about fitness and blah, 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 and all that stuff. And yeah, that's certainly a component of it. But, you know, through my experience and through, I would say, Michael's experience as well, then you'll hear more about our experiences throughout the show. But we have found that that really, you know, physical training can provide things beyond just getting stronger, getting more fit, getting lean, you know, we believe that it can provide opportunities for growth. And so ultimately, as I, as I sat down and prepared for this, I came down to, you know, developing a set of values for Project 13. And these are the things that have evolved over the last couple of years. A lot of them are still consistent with what they were at our founding, but there's been some changes. So ultimately, we believe there's five different values that we stand for. So the training the individual, the collective, the environment, and the truth. So each of those five things has different elements to it or different components that goes into it. Ah, yes, the first ever episode. Next, 
we'll take a look at one of the most frequently asked questions here at the gym is how the name Project 13 came about. Take a listen as we delve into it. But anyway, so uh, the story of Hercules and uh, part of the, the myth of Hercules, he had to perform 12 labors throughout his life to prove his worth. What are some of those labors? Some of the labors. So the first one, he had to slay uh, the Nemean lion. That sounds um, He had to fight uh, uh, a hydra, which is like a nine-headed monster. Um, there's a there's a long list, and that's actually something, too, that in the future we want to get creative with at Project 13 and, and create some named workouts based off of those, which will be good fun. We like to think that there's a 13th labor that he never completed, and that is building better humans, right? So we also, though, believe that that 13th labor is not really a labor at all, but instead is uh, we look at it as a project because we're all ongoing projects, and we believe that you know, you're, you're always working on getting better at something, hence the name Project 13. Mm. Ah, what a trip down memory lane. Next, we'll get into a little bit of what the podcast really talks about. And those are discussions around everything fitness. So this first one is from one of our earlier episodes regarding body composition. Listen in as we talk about how certain things can change and certain things may not change depending on what the goal is. That if my body composition changes positively, meaning getting more lean, yeah. that means my body weight will also change positively, which more often than not, people think number going down, right? What is it that, what is it how that you've seen with that? Oftentimes it's, this, this comes with the females that I work with most often. Yeah. You know, every female that I, not every, but most females that I see come into the gym, they want the, the scale number to go down, right? And I have to provide them with some education about how that's maybe not necessarily what we want and, you know, understanding their goals as well. Most like in that case, it's most often the female is saying, I want to improve my physical appearance, right? And they associate that with weight going down. Yep. When in reality, that may not be, that may not provide you with the results that you are actually wanting, right? So an example of that is, and I'll use myself as an example, <laughs> little story time, little story time. So, you know, people look at me and often think, oh, you're a trainer. You've been a certain level of fitness your entire life. Not the case at all. And when I was in my, my young 20s, I would actually call myself uh, back then skinny fat. So I was around, I mean, at my lowest, I was like 190 pounds. There was also some other stuff going on, digestive stuff that I was trying to figure out and all that stuff. But I was at my lowest weight as an adult, yet I wasn't really healthy. I lacked energy. And then looking at photos of myself from that period of time, I sure I was like maybe skinny ish with, with clothes on, but then like if I had my shirt off, like there's no muscle definition. There's actually, it just doesn't look like I have a lot of muscle, right? Performance wise. How was it though too, as well? Not good. Right. So that's yeah. the other, that's a good point to bring up. Like I was not performing well in the gym. Like, you know, I wasn't getting stronger. I was pretty much the same level of strength that I had been for the past you know, two to three years. And, um, and additionally, 
performance in life, like was lacking energy, like I said, you know, and that's another element that we need to think about. So again, using that example, my weight was the lowest that I was in a long time, but I was not at all healthy. At least I wouldn't consider myself healthy back then. And I had kind of created a, an obsession with eating a certain way, like extremely clean, which is, which is fine. But what was happening was I was actually under eating for my needs and additionally over exercising and specifically too much, too much cardio and, and hit stuff. That's often commonly the case that we, that's, that's always happening. Sometimes it gets marketed that way and it just, yeah. it develops this whole different behavior that provides maybe a negative interaction with your body mm-hmm. and then the things that you're doing to you and your exercise and your yeah exercise. you know and you and so it can be very challenging but so again that example being used to help people understand that it's that although my weight was low my body composition was not good mm-hmm. and therefore health struggled right so we can draw that connection the other side of that is someone gaining weight but they're gaining muscle weight, which is a positive thing. But because of society building such a strong association with the scale weight, people automatically look at that as negative. There's- we also get into some hot takes around cardio. Listen in as we talk about some of the duration timelines that have been set out there. And that sometimes you just got to find what works best for you. Yes. And then the last thing on that is it's the the idea that you can get more or you can get the same amount of benefit from 30 minutes of, of working out instead of spending 60 minutes working out. Now, 30 and 60 minutes for training sessions, first of all, both of them are just arbitrary numbers. Whoever said that you need to work out 30 minutes, whoever said that you need to work out 60 minutes, right? Really, you should work out for as long as you need to to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish in that training session. So my my training sessions, you know, obviously you don't want them to turn into three hours, but it's possible that it goes just over an hour. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it goes just under an hour. Sometimes it's 45 minutes. It just depends on what I need to do in that training session. What needs to be accomplished in terms of what you need for yourself. Yes, Versus like, oh, but I'm to just going to say get that this. it's going to be 30 minutes every single time or 60 minutes every single time. Again, those are just arbitrary numbers that people came up with to fit into our schedules because it just that's 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 how we live our lives, <laughs> you know, by these 30 and 60 minute blocks, yes. like 30 minute meetings, 60 minutes. So people think that exercise is the same way and it just isn't. Here at the P13 Podcast, we don't only focus on the physical aspects regarding fitness, but we also talk about some of the mental sides to fitness, such as mindset. Listen in as we talk about some of the things that could be hindering yourself from reaching you to all your goals. It goes along with continuing to focus on the long haul, focus on, you know, showing up. That is the element of showing up that is important and try not to get discouraged by these automatic negative thoughts and in t- instead, you know, work on management of those. The other big thing, this one is huge. This one is huge that I see with everybody. And this ties into the body comp episode. I mean, it ties into so much. Don't play the comparison game. Ah. So 
the reason it's in this mindset episode and not like the body comp episode, it applies to both, but it is a mindset thing first, I believe. And we are unfortunately in a way we're programmed nowadays to do that because of the influence of social media. So Instagram, Facebook, society um, has shaped our thoughts. Yes, here. it really has. And, and marketing and capital. And that's yeah, another, that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> we said we weren't going to get political. It might happen a few times, but <laughs> there is, there is something to be said about that because the reality is we look at our Instagram and, you know, see a bunch of fitness influencers and they look a certain way and we start saying, why don't I look that way? But the reality is that we need to understand is, you know, that influencer or the, the group of influencers, if you want to lump them in, that's like a fraction of the population, like probably less than 1%. But because of their reach, their reach is like almost can be could be considered like 99% of the population because of the people that have gone viral and stuff like that. It's easy to consume. It's, it's easy like, to consume and like and it, but again, you have to remember that everyone is seeing it, but the percentage of the population that those people make up is very small. And one thing I'll say about that as well, I do believe that most of those people are using external hardware. Sure, hardware. Well, Steroids. Fair enough. <laughs> yes. I wouldn't um, be surprised. Yes. You know, because the reality is a lot of them are so big that like you just, it's just not natural. Right. And unfortunately the fitness industry has created kind of that monster. And it becomes reliant on something like, I guess supplements is, is some of them, but yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, there's like, a whole industry behind that. There's so much money in that. Right. Yeah. So so, but it's something that we just need to be conscious of is that our minds are almost automatically going to revert to this comparison way of thinking. And it's just generally not, not healthy. Thoughtful of your consumption. Understand like there's, yes, there's other things outside of that surface level that you see that may be contributing to that. And then just like, I don't know, figure, <laughs> find what works for you because yeah. that was the other thing that we've been talking about here too is it's can be subjective and absolutely yeah and then the last comparison piece is i i see this a lot with people try not to compare yourself to a previous version of yourself because that's in the past that's never going to happen again so the fact that you're spending time and energy thinking about that is i mean i personally think it's just kind of wasteful instead the the way i have shifted that for myself is how can i be the best future version of myself, right? What can I do today to, to take me to that, that future version of my sh myself that's going to be better than I am now, right? I mean, people will tend to do that where they look at previous version of themselves and say, oh my gosh, I was so skinny. Why can't I be like that? Well, I mean, there's a lot of reasons. You're like, seven years older your bone density is different as yeah, well your, your hormones have changed. Hormones are changed for some people females maybe it's like you've had a child it's another big one for guys maybe it's like you have had a child that you now care for <laughs> you didn't yeah. birth it but you know i mean there's just so many things that are different in your life now relative to back then right yeah. you probably had way less responsibilities too so that's the last kind of comparison piece that just people really need to be be careful of so then the, the last piece kind of is 
in terms of the mindset before we jump into some other other kind of practical things that people can work through understand that this is a journey not a destination very cliche very cliche but very true very very true very this segues nicely into our next topic with the one and only mr eric winters who is one of our few guests here on the p13 podcast the pandemic did make a few changes here in our daily lives and one of those things is the human interaction and we sit down with mr eric winters the founder and ceo of the app halo where he brings a lot of people and communities together to uh hang out and do little run clubs or workout clubs book clubs things like that connecting others with others so here it is a little snippet from our conversation with mr eric winters However, do you feel that some of the connection is lost because it because it's not in person? You know, I mean, we all we always hear a lot about the importance of some of some of the importance of in-person communication is the nonverbals, mm-hmm. right? And so is a message being sent the same as me following up with someone at the end of a class where I can actually read their body language, they can read mine? and take a lot from the conversation based on those nonverbals. Yeah, I think it's that, and it's one step further. Like, um, if we use the Project 13 gym as an example, what are all the things that happen before the class or after the class or that you run into someone on the street as you're coming to the class? That's the magic. That's, like, where real connections happen. Um, While you're going through a workout, it's pretty difficult to, like, be having an in-depth, vulnerable conversation with someone. But all of a sudden, like when you're walking the same direction, you're like, oh, do you, do you live around? Are you, are you walking towards Bush Street? You know, like, um, and you realize that you live in the same building and you work at the same job or you have a, you're in the same industry or, you know, like all of a sudden those commonalities start to happen and those allow you to be vulnerable uh, and share something that is related to the thing that you have in common with confidence that it's not going to be rejected because this person also, you know, you know, is an actor or mm-hmm. like works, you know, lives, lives a, a, the block away. So I think that, um, uh, the, the message itself is important, just like the workout is important, but like it's everything around that, that, that gets lost. A lot of times people will call this parking lot time. Um, you know, you, you totally, it, it's very difficult to replicate that digitally. Um, and I think generally speaking, like we've gone through this, this big experiment over the last year, like look at the digital tools we have, let's try them exclusively. Mm-hmm. How many people are happy? Thank you very much, Mr. Eric Winters. Continuing on with the theme of our guests, we bring in also Mr. Jeff Wolf and Lucas Aaron, respectively here, to talk about flexibility, how they got into it, some of the things that they realized once they got into flexibility and the importance of flexibility. Those listeners who have been listening to us for a while and come into the gym, you know that flexibility is one of the things that we like to hit on in here to make sure you move better and enjoy what life has to offer outside of the gym. So we're not talking like any sort of real extensive like benchmarks in terms of flexibility, but in terms of just realizing that this is what I needed and this is kind of what I was looking for. And that after six to eight weeks of noticing small changes, that if I could continually keep this up and be consistent with this, that this was going to be a long-term, a massive long-term benefit for me. And it then became sort of the staple and priority of my training was establishing 
just really good flexibility and range of motion. And it's just was the best decision I've ever made because it set me up to be able to train the way I train today, Yeah, you know, and, and all the things that came with it. But it was not about being flexible for me initially. Like, and that's the thing that's, that's really hard about marketing flexibility is very few people actually want like have this idea that they want to be flexible in terms of like, Oh, I want to do the splits. Like, of course there are people who think that, but it's, it's, it's quite, it's not a majority of people. It's a minority of people because Mm -hmm. the majority of people already, they just think it doesn't work. So, you know, once they, once you can kind of get them past that and kind of convince them like, well, stretching does work, then stretching becomes more about a solution-based modality. Like I have a problem that I'm trying to solve. Generally, it's a range of motion issue. Mm -hmm. And then they use stretching for it. And then the evolution from there is they realize, okay, like I've kind of, I trust it. I'm just going to believe in Jeff or whoever my flexibility coach is, you know, whoever. They do it. And then they see those those small kind of changes, you know, like the ones I experienced, six to eight weeks of just little tiny things that, you know, people don't even realize are, are, you know, going on in their body because Mm -hmm. they've lived with it for so long. And then it basically just, for a lot of people, it transitions from there. They start to have these little pieces of success that snowball. And then it's like, okay, I want to get the splits. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've had people like, oh, I have a hip problem. You know that, I mean, part of the, a lot of is what I do is, is that it's the majority of what I do. The majority of what I do is, is handling people's range of motion issues that cause them, you know, I'm not going to, you know, blanket say cause them pain, but what they consider contributes to pain or discomfort or, and, and then, and then like snowballs from there, people start to realize, okay, it really does work. I'm having success. What's the next step. And of course, then the next step from like basic things like touching your toes and, you know, being able to lift your arm over your head, over your head with no issues or whatever, then they start to realize that they want to try to push the boundaries on it. And that's just kind of the the natural flow that happened with me is it wasn't like, Oh, I want to be this flexible guy and do the splits. It was like, you know, I just want my back to not like be tight. And I want my shoulders to not feel like crap when I put a barbell overhead or whatever. And then, like I said, a transition from there. So yeah. Yeah, that's kind of how that happened. I competed competitively in powerlifting for many years, um, upwards to national level. And I was, you know, very competitive with my training towards that, hoping to take it to an international stage. Uh, I suffered a bad injury. I ruptured my bicep in a competition. And it's kind of a weird injury to, to direct you to flexibility, but it was kind of like a realization point for me that I had gotten to a point where I was only capable of doing a couple of movements really well. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe it was the right time in my life too. Like you suffer an injury like that. I had kids and I was a coach and personal trainer myself. So you never want to find yourself on the other end of the shoe. Like I'm injured. I'm not supposed to be, I'm supposed to be the one that's, yeah. like, you know, helping people avoid that kind of thing. So yeah, for me, it was a realization that I had to kind of pull my socks up and figure out the movement capacities that I wanted, uh, better for my life for the long term, And that required searching for the answers because what's traditionally out there and what I was traditionally taught through school and through other mentors during those years as a strength coach just wasn't cutting it. I wasn't, it came down to the fact that I didn't have the ability to move the way that I wanted to move. And I had to just 
search for that. So it came down to flexibility. Originally, it wasn't the realization as it is now what flexibility training was. It was a lot of trial and error. So I did a lot of what traditionally we do when we try to seek better movement. We go start going to yoga classes and it's like, you know, just kind of following the direction where you see those kind of patterns of movement or abilities that you want. You start going that way. It's like, okay, led me to gymnastics. I went to a circus school here. I was taking adult classes there, which was cool, but it was like way too intense. Mm, yeah, <laughs> but, I could imagine. Like I think circus that athletes I, are another level. My goodness. Yeah. yeah, and the expectation was that you have a certain baseline when you come in there. And, right. You know, and I think that's any of those disciplines in my experience, even yoga, the expectation is that you have a certain ability when you come in there to to do the practice. The practice is awesome when you can do it, but when you can't do it, you're kind of <laughs> just left sitting on the floor wondering what's going on. <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of where we are now. Like through, through all that, um, I, I trained flexibility super hard. Flexibility as its own entity and a training routine was first introduced to me by uh, gymnastic bodies. So uh, I was taking these gymnastic bodies uh, curriculum at the time is what they had their membership set up as. So you could, it was really cool. You could go through the entire platform of like progressions and like there was a really wicked community that you could engage with. And uh, they came in with the flexibility series and I started doing those. And that was really when it was like, wow, like I've actually never stretched before in my life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I got into those really extensively for about a year. And then that led me deeper down the rabbit hole into finding other mentors like Kit Lachlan, who's really the man behind developing those workouts and Emmett Lewis. And that's when the pieces of the puzzle started to really come together. And I was able to create the practice that I have now and the whole range of strength kind of identity mm -hmm. and develop the splits. <laughs> yeah. And then that's kind of like when that happened, it's like, as I started, you know, improving my flexibility and hitting these other markers and milestones, it was like, oh, there's, I can actually train towards this movement capacity and push myself. And that's when I went a little more monk with it and like abandoned a lot of other things and just went like hardcore flexibility. But yeah, for me, it was a slow process, like of slowly, I think, understanding flexibility, but also letting go of my preconceived notions of it as well. Mm -hmm. I still had that strength coach mentality where I was just like, I don't really need this. I still trained strength a little bit more. When I, after the injury, it was a lot about body composition change as well for me because I was, just, I had, you know, gotten myself into powerlifting shape and it's not really the type of functional shape that's going to allow you to move well. So I did have to mm -hmm. bring the body composition to a certain stage. And then it was like, okay, what has to happen next? And that was when everything kind of all led down to flexibility. It was like, okay, body composition is improving, but my movement's still not there to the way I want it to be. So, yeah. Not only do we hit on flexibility here in fitness and some of the mental side and the physical aspects regarding fitness, but we also take a look at the other aspects outside of the gym, such as your nutrition. Listen in as we talk to our coach, Chantal Morgan, regarding women's nutrition for Women's Health Month. Um, I think I think just nutrition in general for women, the 1200 calorie diet yeah. is like mm. number one. Number mm. one, that somehow, somewhere, someone came up with that number and said, this is what women should eat. 1,200 calories 
is so low. My seven-month-old I mean, baby eats more than that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To, to sustain your, like, <laughs> your resting metabolic rate, let alone any activity that you add, yeah. on top of that is outrageous. I think one big thing with women is, like, I can only eat 1,200 calories or else if I eat more, I'll get bulky. And if I eat more and if I weight lift, I'll turn into a monster. The Hulk. Yeah. G-Hulk, I guess. G-Hulk, yeah. You'll just (laughs) bust out of all of your clothes overnight. I think those two myths, like 1,200 calories and if I lift, I'll get bulky, which is why a lot of women choose not to – go after weights. But yeah, I think those are the two biggest things that you still see today. I think for me, for nutrition, I've definitely had times where I was probably eating way too low for how much I was working out in terms of wanting to achieve that really lean look. And what I've been learning, especially over the past few months, I've started kind of reverse dieting. So trying to build up my metabolism again, and kind of rev things up again so I can eat more and more. I mean, with it comes, there might be some change on the scale, but in honesty, if you see it translate into the gym where you can lift that much more weight. And I think that's the more important part that a lot of people also, women specifically, get scared of. And so and in turn, you you your body composition most likely changes for the better in that case. Yeah. For sure. And even even too, if you want to eventually kind of lose a few pounds for, you know, an upcoming event, if you have a wedding or whatever it may be, like we have we all have commitments, right? And there's sometimes you want to look really good. I mean, a benefit from reverse dieting is usually you set your metabolic point at a higher rate. So then if you want to, you know, lose a few pounds, you don't have to eat as less much less than you were before, which is right. definitely a benefit. So yeah, I think educating people, especially women around the science of that is definitely something that can be improved on for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Piggybacking off our nutrition talk here, one of our past guests on the P13 podcast was the one and only Dr. Shannon O'Grady of Gnarly Nutrition. Here she'll talk about demonizing foods and a little bit of how bad behaviors can come to be when you start doing these demonizing of foods. I think uh. making space for foods that make you feel good, that you enjoy eating and figuring out how those can fit. So it's not this like, oh, I right. want to get mm-hmm. caught in the cookie jar. Right. So, But then when you are in the cookie jar, you're, you're like, like, wow, I'm that was really here. good. I haven't had a cookie in a while. I'm going to yeah. have eight. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of just comes back to the not demonizing foods thing. That's that's pretty big. It's huge for me. I yeah. mean, and I think for a lot of people, our society likes to point fingers elsewhere mm-hmm. instead of pointing the finger at your own relationship with food. Yeah. When you eat food, how you view food, and I think that's a big problem. Right. I think it leads to a lot of bad behaviors and and bad eating styles that lead to unhealthy, um, unhealthy people and, and long-term issues with, uh, metabolic disease. Yeah. So I guess like thinking about that, this is a kind of a thought that just popped into my mind. You mentioned a little bit like the bigger picture society. So obviously the, the U S is not in a good place metabolically, right? There's a lot of overweight people. I mean, do you think that's 
at a, at a bigger societal level, do you think that's kind of a systemic issue that that stems from education, or is it misinformation? Because again, like people somewhere along the way, we started labeling foods as bad, and then that made people more people build that bad relationship, and then binge, and then like this vicious cycle occur. Or what do you think is the the primary driver of that? And do you have any ideas for how we resolve that as a, as a collective? That's a big question. It is a big question. I'm throwing (laughs) it out there. I think it's, it's a multifaceted answer. I think moving more is a big part of the answer. Yeah. Yeah. Just getting people to be more active, even if it's that taking a walk for 20 to 30 minutes a day. I think that also the, rushing from one place to the next and looking for foods of convenience, whether that's like fast food or just highly processed food that we buy at the grocery store. That's another problem, both because those are condensed calories that are consumed quickly and are typically high fat, high sugar, you know, really palatable things that are easy to eat a lot of. So we end up not moving as much as we should and eating concentrated calories that are of the worst combination. So, you know, I don't necessarily think high fat foods are bad. I don't necessarily think high sugar foods, unless they're eaten when you're not active are bad, but high fat and high sugar foods all in one, you know, those are the ones that can really cause major issues and are also the ones that taste the best. Yeah. Um, So I think uh, that's a combination of it. I think nutrition in general is undertaught both, you know, in the early, our early years in school, but also all the way through medical school, right? Mm -hmm. Like doctors aren't even, and it may be different now, but doctors aren't even given, I think, as many nutrition courses as they should. I've, I've I've always heard they need just one credit. Yeah. So I've heard that too. And that's why I say, I'm not sure what's going on now because I hope it's changed, but I have no idea. But right, like that's the baseline for so many diseases that are of like major concern looking at the health of uh, the U.S. of the population. Yeah. That at least knowing how to help somebody or refer them to a registered dietitian or someone that can help them work through the baseline cause of a lot of these diseases that have metabolic impacts, I think is extremely important. You know, we're, we're definitely in a society where band-aids and just giving someone a prescription is the easy way out when in reality you could change someone's life by teaching them to eat correctly. So I think all of those things, lack of education on nutrition at all levels, making nutrition decisions based on convenience, and then also just being a society that is not active, that spends too much time on the screen, that spends too much time indoors. I think all of those things end up being an issue compounded um, by each other. Yeah. Nutrition is not the only thing that we look at outside of the gym, but we look beyond some of those other things. Here's is Dr. Chandler Bowles with our discussion on pain, something that you may experience inside the gym from a long workout or even just like stubbing your toe. But more specifically in this case, talking about acute and long-term pain. 
So looking through the lens of acute pain, let's say that you get like a blister on like the bone around your thumb for some reason. We can point to that area and say like, yes, there is underlying tissue damage. That's why this area is sensitive. It has two features that characterize acute pain. One, non-painful stimuli. Like let's say you're running your hand under like warm water. Obviously, in a normal scenario, like that's not that's not painful, right? Mm. But in, within the context of having a blister or that open area, that non-painful stimulus is going to be perceived as like painful. The area is sensitive. It's sensitive to non-painful stimuli in the same way that it's going to be even more sensitive to a painful stimulus. In those two terms, like no one's going to be quizzed on this, but allodynia is the feature where a non-painful stimulus still elicits some type of pain. And hyperalgesia would be an exaggerated pain response to a painful stimulus. So, of course, getting, you know, I think I had one here. Like, if I get, you know, like, poked with a thumbtack, like... Don't yeah, do it. Don't, 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 don't do it. I was trying to prove a point here. <laughs> uh, like, obviously, it's, it's going to, like, not feel great. It's going right. to be a, a noxious stimulus, which is a painful stimulus. But I, I'm not going to leap out of my chair, per se, unless I sat on it. Um, but in this context, it would be like an exaggerated pain response to an area that is injured. Right. So that, that's acute pain. It goes through a period of over, like overexcitability, but this is adaptive and it confers an evolutionary benefit, right? If we are injured, it is a requisite to our survival to protect in a way, yeah. right? Yeah. So that's, that's acute pain. As we move into chronic pain, this has been largely agreed upon pain that persists after three months duration. Now, I'm sure there's like a little bit of a standard deviation uh, there, mm -hmm. but basically that all normal tissue healing and adaptive processes have taken place. They've done what they need to do. And at the three month mark, pain actually becomes a condition in and of itself. Does that make sense? So like the yeah. pain itself is now its own condition, not so yeah. much an injury. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is where we start getting into like how this process persists. And there's a number of different reasons why that pain can last for a long time. For instance, coping skills or beliefs about pain within the context of low back pain. It was, you know, Early on, I would say like pre 1980s, 1990s, the prevailing theory was that you needed to rest, right? And yeah. not do anything with that area. Well, now we know we can look back and say like, that was terrible advice. <laughs> yeah. In fact, the thing, the thing that is recommended almost in every first line of treatment for acute back pain without complicating and like red flag features is to stay active, to continue doing the activities that you find meaningful. And of course, there, there's there's caveats there. If you know, if you injured yourself doing a maximal, you know, deadlift, perhaps you don't necessarily have to do that again three days later. Mm. But it is a matter of staying active and continuing to move. So, how pain gets into the chronic territory? Beliefs about pain that it needs to be rested until it feels better can ultimately persist over time and lead to more pain-related beliefs and fears. I mentioned this in, in one of the write-ups there, but 
the, the fear avoidance model as it relates to pain. As an example, like when I was with Thomas, when, I, when I, we were working together at Resilient and mm. I had a pretty debilitating bout of low back pain. I'm not sure if it was a true radiculopathy, per perhaps it was a disc herniation. Doesn't super matter, but I know that I associated certain movements with pain. And that was actually like lumbar flexion, like bending forward and mm -hmm. rotating. Mm -hmm. And it was to my right side, not to my left. It was totally fine with my left side. Like give me my left side all day. But, but bending forward and rotating my right side, that was a no-go for me. And I associated pain with that movement even after that movement was no longer painful. Like, does that make sense? Like in my yeah. mind, like yeah. it encoded a memory mm -hmm. of that. And so I avoided that movement to a degree. I would consciously find ways to avoid doing that movement. Like if something was down on the ground to yeah. uh, the right of me, I would stand physically rotate my body so that I could bend forward and rotate the other way just to pick it up. Um, so using that as an example, we avoid certain movements that we believe are provocative, whether or not they are uh, or not, we avoid those movements and then slowly begin to even generalize to movements that weren't painful or provocative in the first place. Yeah. Um, it's called stimulus generalization. We start associating, well, now it's not so much that me bending forward and rotating to my right is the scary movement, but now it's just bending forward in general. Yeah. Can't bend forward. I have to find a new way to get something off the ground. Either I ask a buddy or who knows, but I start generalizing that those movements are painful in and of themselves. And with pain in my mind, I think damage. Yeah. Right. So every time I feel pain, my thought is, I am damaging X, Y, and Z structure in my low back. And those types of beliefs persist, persist and get stronger. That's the part that's, that's, that's particularly challenging as it relates to low back pain. You get better almost at having pain. Yeah. That's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of a wild, wild concept. And to, to illustrate that a little bit, Paul Hodges, who's a researcher out in Australia, he did not one but two PhDs. Like, what a guy. <laughs> one, one of one of his like seminal papers, I think it was in like 2011 or 2012, was looking at people with long-standing low back pain. And uh, as I mentioned previously with Dr. Norman Kettner, looking at that cortical reorganization in people with carpal tunnel syndrome, Dr. Paul Hodges looked at people with long-standing low back pain and found that there was cortical, quote, smudging in the low back where these areas that are effectively supposed to be delineated, like this particular area represents this muscle or this piece of skin over like L4, just a vertebrae, now has spread, the receptive field has spread in a way that that perfect nice separation no longer exists. And so, so at the cortical level, they found reorganization in people with longstanding low back pain. Hmm. which I just find to be crazy, crazy wild. One more uh, thing that kind of highlights this is the, is the concept of long-term potentiation. Again, not really going to be quizzed on that, but uh, the synapses or our connections from our neurons get better and better the more we use them in a particular way or fashion. Like a good example would be a researcher, a researcher from Australia in the 90s I might butcher their name, so don't quote me or do. I don't care. Uh, Dr. Digby <laughs> Sale. Um, 
looked at, he wasn't doing research on Sounds hypertrophy. Australian. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. I don't know. It's, it's Dr. Dundee. Anyway, he, um, <laughs> so he was looking at D deconditioned individuals who had not had much experience. And I believe it was under a bench press. So let's say a very untrained individual getting under bench press. And let's say they start with, you know, a 25 plate on either side, just as an example. So they got 95 pounds on the bar there. Well, for two weeks, they trained, I think a total of six times. And from what we understand about like muscle hypertrophy, it doesn't take place within that short of a time frame. It takes a little bit longer for muscles to undergo that hypertrophy. However, if you compare their abilities under the bar day one, then bench pressing, it's, it's rigid. It's awkward. They don't know what they're doing. Of course, you know, they're different control, right? It, it's a lot the more barbell shakes day one. a little bit. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But now we fast forward to day 14 and they are immeasurably more efficient. The bar path is much more consistent. They are expending a lot less wasteful energy. And let's say that they get like, you know, 10 more reps overall. Well, well, what happened? Did they undergo muscle hypertrophy? No, not necessarily. They got better at performing the activity as a result of better synaptic efficacy. Their muscles, instead of doing like boop, 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 it became this fluid. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like yeah. the fluidity of the movement there. And so I know that seemed like tangential, but as using that as an example, if we get down into the weeds of like the sensory relay system or like the pain pathway, those circuit, the circuitry that is involved in having pain can honestly get better and better the longer you have pain. Hmm. It's uh, it, it's pretty wild. Yeah. Um, and again, like I said, with that paper from like Paul, Paul Hodges, there's reorganization that takes place at the cortical level. Um, we have inhibitory uh, circuitry throughout our body. We've got inhibitory systems that prevent certain stimuli from even coming to our conscious awareness, right? Like we encounter things constantly that are below threshold for perception. Does that make sense? And some of the circuitry is involved. That's the purpose that it serves, not even bringing it to our conscious awareness. Well, in people with longstanding pain conditions, again, looking through the lens of longstanding, the chronic low back pain, that circuitry at one point was meant to be inhibitory is now facilitatory. So it actually amplifies pain in a way that it was not designed to. Mm. Again, this is in like long-standing pain states. As you all know, we always finish off our podcasts with a uh, specific tagline. But before we get to that tagline, here's a uh, little snippet of some of our guests trying to guess what that tagline is. Um, Would you like to hit our tagline? <laughs> we have every guest do this. She has to know what it is first. Yeah, true. Like, so, oh, shit. <laughs> and uh, with that. Would you like to hit her tagline? Ooh, we have to tell her what it is first. Yeah, you, I got well, it. Maybe she knows. Building better humans? No. <laughs> we'll edit that out. Well, we'll edit this out. The tagline is avoid the bullshit. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Do I just okay. throw it out? Well, <laughs> so we'll say. We'll, uh, here we go. We can do it now. So, and with that, avoid the bullshit. Boom. Is, is that what it was? And uh, do you know our tagline as well? Doubt it. Uh, no, I don't. And I feel 
like a dunce right now. <laughs> no. Because Thomas should have told me. I'm gonna I'm gonna I should have not take any responsibility. We That's usually right. we usually don't tell the guests what our tagline is. Um because we like to quiz them on it at the end, like we just did with you. Now, boom, roasted. Um, but the tagline is avoid the bullshit. So when we give you a little countdown, you're going to say that. Okay. We'll take it back here. Okay. So <laughs> you can leave that in there. Thank you again for listening to the P13 podcast. Again, happy belated holidays, happy New Year's, happy belated New Year's. Get those resolutions going. Again, you don't need the new year to start a resolution. You can always just start today. But remember, just have fun and listen in. Continue listening in. Those who have supported us throughout the uh, throughout the pandemic and throughout the time, we just want to say thank you. Those who are new here, welcome in. Enjoy what we have to offer. Come train with us in the gym here in San Francisco. We're off Polk Street. And remember to always... Avoid the bullshit. Thank you again for listening to the P13 podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a five-star rating. This podcast was produced by Project 13 Gyms and a special thanks to Studio Pod Media for providing the studio space and additional production. Absolutely. You can find us on social media on Instagram at Project 13 Gyms. You can find myself at Kemifan, that is K-E-M-I-F-A-N. How about you, Thomas? Where can they find you on your social media? You can find me at Conway Bunga. That's C-O-N-W-A-Y-B-U-N-G-A. You can also check us out at project13gyms.com. And if you're in the SF area, come train with us at Project 13 Gyms in Lower Knob Hill.